Welcome back to From Heaven to Eternity, my Bible study podcast. I'm Brian, and this week we conclude our four-episode study on biblical community and missional living. This episode should be short, and then next week we will probably jump back into the Minor Prophets. In episode one of this series, we introduced the concepts of biblical community and missional living. We walked through how community should be focused on sharing the gospel with each other, but also focused on sharing our lives as well. We centered this episode around 1 Thessalonians 2.8, which says, Even so, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart on you, not the good news of God only, but also our own souls, because you had become very dear to us. In episode 2, we focused on what biblical community is, that it centers around the person and work of Jesus Christ. We walked through the community displayed within the context of the early church, and Acts chapter 2 provided a great example of a community transformed by the gospel of Jesus. A group of believers devoting themselves to teaching and fellowship, to breaking bread together, and to praying together. Specifically, we looked at Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. Last episode, we focused on the purpose of biblical community, to glorify God, to grow as disciples of Jesus, and to multiply our communities. In accordance with the Great Commission that we found in Matthew 28, 16-20, we aim to grow the group, to have gospel-centered conversations, and to make disciples. People gathering for community and scattering together for mission, with the aim to multiply and to grow the church. This episode we ask, If we aim to grow as a community that shares the gospel and our lives, then what characteristics should community members seek to display? Will scripture hop around the Bible some? We'll probably focus more on Matthew chapter 22 and Romans chapter 12 than other areas. So if you're following along, then those might be good places to land while I nerd out in some of the other areas. So after talking through some of these verses, we'll try to put a bow on the whole series. Hopefully you have found this series fruitful. I prefer to walk linearly through chapters and books of the Bible, but I feel strongly that our community and our local fellowship of believers is essential for growth. It's essential for maturation, for missional living, and for successful discipleship. We were not meant to walk the Christian life alone. Discipleship works when it is based around a group of members seeking to love God, to study God's word, to share the gospel, and to engage in doing life together. I pray that we can all be blessed with this kind of biblical community. But the Pharisees, when they heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. A second likewise is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 39. So we are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The Bible outlines categories of traits that portray that love, like humility, grace, and unity. But it also provides specific things we can actively pursue to better portray Christ 
to our small groups, to our churches, and to our entire culture. Look, we are not called to biblical community and missional living because it's the neighborly thing to do, even though it is. As Christians, we are called to a lifestyle of missional living and biblical community because we worship an awesome God who we love with all our heart, mind, and soul. And that love should overflow into every other relationship in our lives. But what does that overflow look like? Well, one place in scripture where you could turn to would be Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which begins in Matthew chapter 5. Those first 12 or so verses in Matthew 5 are a great articulation of the characteristics that followers of Jesus, that kingdom members, should display. For those who have followed the podcast a while, you might recall those Beatitudes from my first episode on the Sermon on the Mount. For those who haven't been listening since the beginning, I recommend giving my first Matthew 5 episode a listen. I'm not going to go through each of the Beatitudes here, but we will eventually get to the book of Romans and Romans chapter 12. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to a church at Rome. Paul had never been to that church, he didn't plan it himself, and he wasn't able to provide a hands-on gospel and community exposition to the believers there. He yearned to go there one day, and he did eventually visit Rome later in his life, but it wasn't on a vacation or on a mission, it was as a prisoner of Rome. Rome was the center of the Roman Empire, yes, but it was also an epicenter for false worship, for immorality, and for greed. The Christian community there had to stand as a vibrant and firm light in the midst of that culture, both in their theological doctrine and in their missionary lives. So Paul writes his letter to the church at Rome fully knowing that. He spends basically the first half of the letter beautifully articulating who Jesus is, what his completed work on the cross accomplished, and why we are saved through faith alone and Jesus alone by God's grace alone. Then in the second portion of the book, he unpacks how the gospel calls believers to live transformed lives as a community defined by our relationships with God and with all other people. Before we dive further into the end of Romans chapter 12, I want to encourage us to meditate on what it might look like to truly love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. More than that, though, I want us to pray through what the desires of our hearts are for these things. Sadly, I feel that we might sometimes pray for the first part. Father, help me to love you more, to seek you more, to desire you more, and to glorify you more. But then maybe we sweep the second part under the rug. Just as we've talked about before, loving your neighbor isn't a passive thing. It's not just a call to avoid treating people badly. It's also a call for us to desire to live sacrificially for both God and our neighbors. And when is the last time that you prayed for that? Father, help us to want to live lives that display love for you and that glorify you. But also allow us to truly desire in our hearts a sacrificial love for our neighbors that shines as a light reflecting Christ to the world. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil, cling to that which is good. In love of the brothers, be tenderly affectionate one to another. In honor, preferring one another. 
not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, enduring in troubles, continuing steadfastly in prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own conceits. Repay no one evil for evil. Respect what is honorable in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it is up to you, be at peace with all men. Don't seek revenge yourselves, beloved, but give place to God's wrath. For it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Look, it's easy to get caught up in each item listed here by Paul. It's easy to reflect on the ones we think we do well, or lament the ones that we think we do poorly. And there's definitely a time and a place for diving into the weeds here. I just don't want us to miss the forest through the trees. What is this passage about? Why is it important for Christians to be marked by behavior like being tenderly affectionate for one another, and in honor to prefer one another? This is about having hearts that desire a unity and a community that creates opportunity. Jesus isn't about behavior modification. He's after heart transformation. And that heart transformation should then transform our lives. Hunter Hall says that it is a shift from doctrine to duty, from belief into behavior. So it's about this overflowing into our community and our culture and our relationships but not just because we want to have better friendships or more likes on our Facebook posts. Our community should aim to glorify God. Todd Ingstrom notes that community on this side of heaven isn't primarily about us. Community is about God's glory being displayed to the world. Jesus clearly explains that the purpose of Christian unity and community is so that the world would know God the Father sent Jesus to this earth. David Platt says the gladness of the family reflects the glory of the Father. While this passage gives us a picture of the traits and the characteristics that Christians should display individually, it is also a portrait of how biblical communities should interact with each other and the world. This is what affords us opportunities for gospel conversations with others. So in addition to Matthew chapter 5 and Romans chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 22, there are other one another's that can be seen throughout the New Testament teachings. They include welcoming one another in Romans 15:7, loving one another in John 13:34, being kind to one another Ephesians 4:32, encouraging and building up one another 1 Thessalonians 5:11, spurring one another toward love and good works in Hebrews 10.24, being compassionate and humble to one another, 1 Peter 3.8, praying for one another, James 5.16, caring for one another, 1 Corinthians 12.25, bearing one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2, teaching and admonishing one another, 
Colossians 3.16, submitting to one another, Ephesians 5.21, not neglecting to meet with one another, Hebrews 10.25, confessing our sins to one another, James 5.16, serving one another, Galatians 5.13, forgiving one another, Ephesians 4.32, not envying one another, Galatians 5.26, not grumbling against one another, James 5.9, showing hospitality to one another, 1 Peter 4.9, outdoing one another in honor, Romans 12.10, being united with one another in our convictions, 1 Corinthians 1.10, and belonging to one another, Romans 12.5. All of these one another's are meant to display love to our neighbors, but that love is meaningless in a vacuum. I shared in the Hosea series that people can come up with some pretty interesting and some pretty jaded definitions of love if left to their own devices. Scripture itself, though, it helps us out here. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart of compassion against him, how does the love of God remain in him? My little children, let's not love in word only, neither with tongues only, but in deed and truth. Then in chapter 4 of that book, John writes, By this God's love was revealed to us that God has sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Look, we get the ultimate definition of love through the sacrificial works of Jesus Christ, and that love is what biblical community and missional living should aim to portray to the world. Before putting a bow on this series, I think that it's important to reflect on a question. Who are our neighbors? If we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, who are these people? I'll give you a hint and say that they are not just the people who you occasionally wave at while you're getting the mail before you run back inside your house. Anybody that we have the opportunity to interact with is a neighbor in this sense of the word. They can be physical neighbors, family members, co-workers, church members, people you interact with on a sidewalk when walking in downtown. Loving your neighbor is about displaying those characteristics toward anyone you find the context of your life intersecting with. Matt Chandler reminds us that God met us where we were physically and spiritually. And Chris Kovac implores us to love others at their primary point of need. So loving our neighbor, it's about recognizing what situations God walked with us through and then being willing to walk with others through their situations. As Christians, these one another's aren't reserved only for people who also display them back toward us or for people who are in situations that are convenient for us to reach. It is about stepping into the situations we are presented with to extend the same sacrificial love toward others that God has already extended toward us. We love because Christ first loved us. We pour ourselves out for others because Christ poured himself out for us. And in doing this, we pray that we glorify God and that we are granted opportunities for gospel conversations. 
These conversations happen through life-on-life interactions, and they enable us to share and display the love and power of Jesus toward others. There are two ways to deal with the cold. Put on a fur coat to be warm, or light a fire so that others can be warm too. Quote from Alter Weiner, These words ring true in any environment, and if spoken by any individual. But given the context of who gives them, these words are an amazing testament to the need for a community that transforms our culture. Alter was only 13 years old living in eastern Poland when his father was taken from his village by German military. It was only later, after locals dug up a mass grave, that they found the remains of his father shot by Nazi German soldiers. Alter ended up being the only member of his family to survive the Holocaust. He endured three years of forced labor in multiple concentration camps, including a lengthy stay at Auschwitz. He was hit by a car and killed crossing the street in Oregon in 2018 at the age of 92. In his autobiography, From a Name to a Number, he quotes Arthur Ashe saying, True heroism is not dramatic. It is not the urge to surpass all others at whatever cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever cost. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an author and a Christian pastor in Germany during World War II. His story is extremely interesting and might come up in one of the future episodes. He was a pastor and author, yes, but he was also a voice against the Nazi regime and its atrocities. He worked with underground seminaries in Germany. He played a role of spy for the German resistance, and he was accused of being part of the Valkyrie assassination plot against Hitler's life. He was eventually imprisoned by the Nazis transferred to Buchenwald and Flossenburg concentration camps, and he was finally executed by hanging on April 9, 1945, just two weeks before American troops liberated the camp. Bonhoeffer was a martyr, but also an advocate of biblical community and missional living. He advocated creating community and not enforcing community upon others. He once wrote, The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. While in prison, he created relationships and he engaged in missional outreach with guards and other prisoners. He also wrote letters that were published after his death. In letters and papers from prison, he implores, in a word, live together in the forgiveness of your sins. For without it, no human fellowship, least of all marriage, can survive. Don't insist on your rights. Don't blame each other. Don't judge or condemn each other. Don't find fault with each other. But accept each other as you are. And forgive each other every day from the bottom of your hearts. Look, biblical community is sacrificial. And sometimes it can make us stop in our tracks. It is also the greatest witness to the transforming power of Christ. Jeff Vanderstelt says that we should live a life that demands a gospel explanation, that cannot be explained away apart from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming into your life. Thanks for listening. All verses were from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. Next episode, we'll start back up with the Minor Prophets, starting in the book of Amos. Until next time, I love y'all.